and welcome to episode four of the Coach Potatoes podcast with me, Lara Kui, and me, Andrew Parker. Hi, Lara. Hi, everyone. Great to be back. I'm so glad that people are still tuning in despite our efforts to put you off with previous episodes. And we have a bumper episode lined up for you today covering a lot of different topics. But we're going to start off with our first one, and it's our Coaching topic of the week. What are we going to talk about first? We're going to talk today, Lara, first of all, about the pandemic pause. And I guess depending on where you are in the world, you may have a slightly stronger name for how you're being impacted by COVID-19 at the moment. But this is the opportunity that we've all had, and I guess some of us have also been looking for, to just pause on our lives. And despite what we think about COVID-19 and the different responses around the world, it's given us time and space to consider our life and our careers. So I thought that would make a really interesting topic for us to talk about today. It definitely is. I mean, this pandemic has obviously come out of the blue and hit everybody in very different ways, but it's such a unique thing that's happened to us all at the same time. And although different nations have gone through lockdown at different stages, it's something that most people have now experienced. And I think that what it brings home is the fact that most people are leading extremely busy lives where they're on this sort of rat race and everyone's just hurrying with their life and they're just packed every single day is so busy with just kind of keeping on top of things that no one's really had that opportunity before to sit back and look and reflect on what their life actually looks like. And so, yeah, we've called it the pandemic pause because we think it does raise a lot of very interesting issues. And obviously, the number one thing that you do in your life is your career. So how has the pandemic pause impacted people and their career, Andrew? Maybe a quick personal story to answer that question, first of all, Lara. And I guess the pandemic pause has given everyone the opportunity just to reflect on what's important and what's not. And so you just spoke about how important our careers are. So this is just a quick personal story. So a week or two ago, I received an email from a really well-known, well-regarded restaurant here in Singapore for a themed evening meal, which was quite expensive. Now, normally, I would have jumped at the chance for that sort of experience. But I looked at it and it just felt somehow a little artificial. It felt um, a little twee, if that makes sense, and a little arrogant in some respects. And so normally, whilst I would have jumped at that opportunity, I thought, you know what, this is not really important and it's no longer important. And so I'm personally finding there's a reset in my own personal life and my career as to what's important and what's not. Mm -hmm. And so I think the the pause or the pandemic pause has given at least me and I think others that opportunity to step back and say, what is important and what's not? Yeah, definitely. Um, It really highlights, I mean, the, the fragility of life, right? You know, how fortunate we are to be here in Singapore, where you know, the authorities have really taken a fantastic approach with their track and trace. Mm. They have incredible testing facilities. We have seen that other countries have not fared so well. And uh, what I must applaud most, though, actually, is the transparency of the figures. You know, every single day we get a WhatsApp or a Telegram um, message detailing exactly the number of cases in the community, cases that are 
in the dormitories, cases that are imported, how many people in hospital, how many people in ICU, total number of cases and everything. So I feel very informed. I feel very you know, safe when I see the very low numbers of in the community. Um, and that definitely gives me the reassurance. But also, I like the attitude of people here in Asia to wearing a mask, being considerate of others, understanding the one meter rule, and just really being much more of a collective harmony approach to really ensure that everybody takes, you know, collective responsibility and does their part. So an individual is really recognizing that they have a part to play. Mm. I'm really attracted by the use of technology. I actually had this conversation with somebody recently and they were talking about not knowing the way out of the current situation. And one of my responses was, I think you can lead the way uh, out of COVID-19 and lockdown through the use of technology. And we see that really, really, or being used extensively and really well in Singapore. Um, So yes, it is painful to have to do QR codes uh, every time you step into uh, a new area or a new store or a new uh, office, but there's also uh, the willingness of the community to be able to do that but also the constant upgrades to uh, trace together apps, et cetera, uh, that now tell you whether you've been in an environment uh, that's safe or, or not. Uh, so I think technology is uh, certainly the way forward. I actually had a reminder message uh, a couple of days ago from the Ministry of Health here in Singapore reminding me that I needed to pick up my uh, Bluetooth chip effectively to put into my uh, my bag or my pocket whenever I, uh, I left the house. So technology certainly can be used extensively to Help us move forward. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we, we've gone a bit off topic here. So let's, <laughs> let's <laughs> let us rein ourselves back in. And we're talking about the pandemic cause and how people are suddenly, you know, looking at their role. So I was thinking that there's so many scenarios here. And I think the first one is lots of people looking at their current role. You know, what job are they doing at the moment? And what does that look like? So people who are now in a work from home situation and those people who are in jobs where they have not been able to actually work from home. And, you know, we have seen a division between so-called white collar, blue collar, you know, manual kind of work, in-person kind of work where people have suffered because they really haven't been able to you know, be doing their job when the lockdowns happened. You know, I certainly have always felt very privileged to have a sort of office job, as it were. Um, but now, you know, obviously <laughs> in the work from home situation. But um, people looking at their current role. And we were talking about, you know, another time when we were discussing this, Andrew, about how employers have handled the situation and how that will have affected people in their current role. What do you think employers have done well and not so well? Mm. Larry, you're certainly right. It's a period of transition and change for everyone. And I think it's a period of transition and uncertainty and change for employers and for managers and leaders as well. So some of the best examples that I can think of are companies that have supported their leadership team and supported their employees through coaching, for example, coaching helplines. I think we've spoken about that uh, on previous uh, episodes as well. But also provide the opportunity for their employees to check in on a regular basis. Now, lots of us are sick of uh, Zoom calls or Zoom fatigue. Uh, it's helpful for employers and managers to understand that's the case, but also provide the opportunity for people to check in in different ways. And so some of the best employers have been able to, uh, to do that. I'm also becoming aware as well, as we start to think about what the next six or 12 months look like, some employers are getting really clever with the way they're thinking about the work from home situation that most of us are in. And so I'm aware of some companies even developing things called office in a box and sending to their employees everything they need to uh, 
have a really safe and ergonomic and a really enjoyable work environment at home. And so if you're a new employee, you literally open up a box, it's got everything you need, including uh, the laptop, the screen, in some cases a chair, all the stationery that uh, you need, as well as all the other good fun things like stress balls and mouse pads and things like that. Yeah, no, that's a really um, you know nice touch. There are so many people taking on a new role and, and having that onboarding from you know the comfort of their own home. And, and I was uh, thinking about, yes, how loyalty to a company can be affirmed by how you feel towards your employer. So it is actually all the daily small touches that make all the difference. So, you know, you really can feel whether you're supported by your employer. And certainly at the, you know, the law firm that I was working at, we did a weekly wellness check-in uh, for the young associates. And what we found was that that really helped them bond with each other. You know, it's a lot about feeling that you're not alone, that you're all in the same boat, you're in it together, and that they're reconnecting, but not about work. This was really on wellness topics. We discussed so many things like sleep, you know, making sure people are getting sleep, work-life balance, the ability to switch off when you're working from home, doing, you know, productivity tips, um, talking about, you know, burnout, talking about how people can connect with others and just really feel like they are making progress and still being seen. So I think visibility is one big issue, isn't it, for people mm. working at home? What kind of things could people do to ensure that they still feel visible? Well, I think the health and wellness aspect is really uh, interesting. You picked up on a moment or so ago, Lara, because I've actually worked with some clients who have invested and been investing in the health and wellness of their employees. So having lots of uh, lunch and learn sessions, for example, uh, talking about mental health, for example, running sessions on mental health, uh, helping people uh, upgrade their skills in, in different uh, areas. They're some of the things that uh, really good companies are doing. I think people can feel more visible in a few different ways. I think you can also make yourself more visible as well. So you have to take that step forward too. I think one of the things that lots of really successful people have been doing during the pandemic is actually making those spontaneous calls. Rather than just send an email or a WhatsApp or a Telegram message, pick up the phone, make a spontaneous call. Perhaps you might even want to make a spontaneous Zoom or a Teams call. Just by making a spontaneous call, shows care for the other person uh, and it's such an easy thing to do but it's uh, also so delightful for the other person to receive that sort of message and it just shows that you care and one of the things that I always talk about whenever I'm talking about emotional intelligence and how to build your emotional intelligence one of the tips to building really strong rapport and deep relationships is that when you care about somebody show it it could be something really really small it could be that phone call or that message Little things make a big difference at the moment. Absolutely right. And certainly it's so important for managers to really think strategically about staying connected with their team. And as you said, Andrew, really showing that you care by demonstrating that it really isn't just all about the work, you know, not checking in just to sort of check on billable hours or, you know, just checking your revenue figures. Like, no, mm -hmm. why don't you say you know, how are you doing? You know, what's really going on? And, um, you know, how can I support you? What else could the company do? So I think companies can even send around surveys, checking in on the kind of things that people would require, making sure that there's regular calls for people to bond as a team. Uh, and I love all of those, you know, wellness packages and things. And um, on that weekly wellness check-in, we used to send a really nice lunch. Um, and so we'd eat together and that was, you know, a fun and informal way of um, just having your lunch out together. 
like you used to, but in a, in a virtual way. So there are a lot of things that employers can do, but they do need to think outside the box, as it were, don't they? they? Do. Some yeah. of the best leaders I've uh, been working with in the last few months, they know that they might have a call. So I'm having a call with you for 30 minutes, but they won't even get to that topic. They'll say, okay, we're going to talk about this particular topic. Let's just spend a couple of minutes. How are you, Lara? How are you feeling? What's happening for you? And then also if you're observing something that's not being said, so if somebody appears upset or angry, maybe dismayed, disconnected, ask them. Yeah. Use the power of questions to, to do that. I've noticed that you seem a little bit upset today or you seem a bit distant at the moment. What's happening for you that I need to understand? How can I help you? So you can ask really powerful questions like that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that takes bravery. You know, this mm. is... Um, unprecedented and it means that it calls for different approaches to things and uh, possibly in a work context before you may not have felt that comfortable to to ask those questions but I think there's something about the level of being real and uh, people working from home that means you can approach uh, mental health and rightfully so because some people are feeling quite fragile at the moment. Mm. This is a good opportunity to really connect with people on a much deeper level. And I certainly feel that, you know, when people eventually start to go back to the office, um, I mean, here in Singapore, people are, I think there's sort of split team system at the moment. But I think that when people actually get back to in-person, they're going to be even more connected and have stronger teams as a result of the pandemic than before, even though they've been away for such a long time. So it's quite interesting, isn't it? Mm, it is. And I'm thinking about that in the context of uh, some cultures that are quite hierarchical mm. and the vulnerability that we're all having to show at the moment and being in people's homes is uh, allowing you a snapshot into somebody's world. But if somebody's doing that really well, they're typically showing some vulnerability in a very hierarchical society, some of those hierarchies may be broken down potentially forever yeah. uh, by demonstrating vulnerability uh, mm. and uh, showing a little bit about their, their life and their life behind the scenes. Uh, mm. I know I've been interrupted by uh, dogs barking, for example, or my dog barking uh, during uh, uh, workshops, um, children running in at different uh, times. You learn to be able to embrace that, but that's also an opportunity just to show a little bit about yourself, show that you are uh, human and yeah. some Good leaders are actually doing that and embracing that opportunity. I think it's a great opportunity for leaders themselves to really show that they're human too. Mm. Um, you know, leaders have so much pressure on themselves to appear perfect and you often won't know a lot about them, actually. You know, they might ask things of you, but sometimes you won't necessarily ask them about their family as well. And being able to see them in a home context where, you know, they are also juggling homeschooling and dogs and uh, all sorts really does bring everybody down to the same level. And, and I think that that is one of the best things about the situation in that everybody feels like, yeah, you're totally in it together and we're all facing the same challenges. So I think the humanity of leaders is a great thing. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, like I said, I think people are going to feel a lot closer, a lot more connected. And leaders also are going to feel more accessible and more human uh, as well. So this will be a great thing. Mm. Mm. I think it's also too, like, Laura, what you're mentioning that, it just sparked a thought in my mind, that it's also okay to ask for things, both either as a, an employee or a leader or a manager. And so just a really simple uh, example, and I was thinking about video calls and Zoom fatigue, that I was working with a, a client recently who gets towards the end of the day and they're just exhausted from eight, 10 hours of video calls. And we're talking about different ways in which they could keep that energy flowing. 
And we spoke about turning the video camera off. And if you get to that stage in the day where you're so fatigued, ask for permission. Is it okay if I turn the camera off? I've been on four hours of calls back to back. doesn't mean that you're actually disrespecting the person you're uh, having a conversation with. In fact, you're probably doing more by showing respect because you're able to give more of the call and show more attention. But turn the camera off, look after yourself. And how I got to that point was I think it's really important for us to look after ourselves and to ask for something if we need something. Don't keep putting yourself into a position where you're exhausted day after day, hour after hour. Look after yourself. And that's a really important lesson from this pandemic as well. Yeah, definitely. If we go back to, you know, people thinking about their current role, you know, the pandemic pause has given them the opportunity to, to reflect on their role. And many people are actually thinking about, so within their company, but maybe changing roles. So now that they're working from home, they may have uh, found a passion that they had previously thought about, but now is the time for them to take action on that. Uh, so for example, I know a lawyer who, you know, is very much involved in sort of transactional work and things on a daily basis, but is very, very interested in diversity and inclusion and is looking to sort of transition into a role more in that area. So this pause has given that opportunity for her to do more training in that area, be involved on a volunteer basis with with more organisations with that, so that she has the right experience and credentials to be able to sidestep into that, but within the same firm. So that's a quite a good example of someone, you know, within their company as it, as it is. But maybe people are also thinking of relocation. So, uh, you know, we're here in Singapore, obviously, but many people have got relatives abroad, you know, back home, especially perhaps vulnerable people, older, you know, parents or grandparents who they suddenly feel like, my goodness, you, you know, I need to look at what the world looks like now. I need to get back to be somewhere where I can actually spend time with them because uh, the pandemic has brought home how fragile life is. And these people are very vulnerable to COVID. Um have you had uh, any any experience of friends or you know people, clients, and contacts who are relocating for for COVID reasons? Yeah, lots. In fact, uh, even the building that I live in, there seems to be a removalist uh, van every single day, uh, with people uh, either moving in, uh, in some cases moving out, but um, moving out of uh, Singapore, uh, moving to um, uh, cheaper rented premises, for example. Uh, I know lots of companies that are moving and downsizing our offices. So we're all doing lots of um, uh, managing lots of change and transition at the moment. But certainly lots of people I know, Lara, are, if they're not already underway on a career change or a role change, they're certainly thinking about it. And uh, people are thinking about uh, changing roles within the same company, perhaps a, a new role in a new area or a new location. In some cases, some people are thinking about leaving organisations altogether uh, and just reassessing what's important to them. And one of the things that some clients have asked for is things like uh, values alignment or values assessment uh, tools to look at whether what they're currently doing is really aligned with their, their values. And if it's not, what's the next step for them? Uh, so lots of people really assessing everything associated with their personal life at the moment. And you and I both know this from our personal experience as well, is that lots of people are also either starting a side hustle, they're accelerating a side hustle, uh, or they might even be starting a new business from scratch. And it sounds counterintuitive to start a new business uh, at the moment. And we'll talk about a really good example being yours a little bit later in the podcast. But lots of people are taking uh, that uh, very brave step at the moment as well. 
Yeah, I think, you know, they've uh, had a lot of time at home to to think about things, to look at, you know, the current role, like we said, to think about other opportunities and, yes, possibly grow a side hustle. There are, um, well, here in Singapore, I know that many, many people have some sort of side hustle, which is usually a passion that they have. Uh, it might be photography or, um, you know, graphic design or copywriting or, or writing a book. You know, there's a lot of different things that people do on the side, which now that they've got this chance to work at home, they have began to see as a real prospect of a business. So I certainly have had a number of people come to me for coaching in terms of how do they grow their side hustle into a proper business? You know, where do they start? What are the steps can we come up with a plan that's going to help them progress? So that's definitely one of the many things that um, people are thinking about. But yes, definitely the the brand new business as well. So the pandemic has brought about a lot of opportunity for new ideas. So there'll be people who have been sitting on an, an idea for, let's say, you know, the last part of five years and said, oh, you know, this is something I really need to do. And then the situation has given them that push, whether because they've been retrenched or perhaps retired early or, you know, their company has cut back on numbers. Who knows what? But there are so many reasons why people are given a push in a different direction. And this is a great opportunity to start a new business if you are in a position to do so. I mean, it is kind of risky, but if you have the passion for your project and you have, uh, you know, the necessary skills and mindset, I mean, we in coaching, right, Andrew, we always talk about mindset because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, the mindset is pretty much everything because that will get you through anything if you have the right mindset. So um, as a small business owner yourself, why don't we talk about that initial sort of fear and, and going from your, your day job into your you know consultancy practice? It's really, really frightening. <laughs> and I, even today, several years in, uh, I still talk about my decision as being either the bravest or the stupidest thing I've done. I'm still not sure which one of those uh, it is uh, yet. But you're right, Lara, lots of people are thinking about um, taking that uh, that leap of faith. I guess there's a few scars that I'd probably talk about from my own experience. And one of them is to just make sure you have your first customer lined up. I know a few people who are starting their own business and starting from scratch without a customer. Try and line up your first customer before you start, at least to get you started. Keeps your confidence uh, going uh, as well and produces some uh, revenue right from uh, the first day. But really important to uh, to do that. The other tip I'd also give is that you can do things in a really lean way if you really want to. Uh, so, for example, I've uh, taught myself how to build my own web page. I do my own financials. I do my own lead generation. Now, not all of those I'm successful at, but I've developed the skills to be able to do that, which has meant that I was able to start my own business in a really lean manner. And while I think of it, Larry, there's probably one more thing, and that's continue to invest in your skills. Invest in yourself. Trust yourself but continue to upgrade your skills. And you don't have to go and take a university degree, for example, or a 12-month course. You can do lots of uh, micro-courses, and micro-learning is quite uh, popular and quite prevalent at the moment. So take the opportunity to learn and uh, build your skills in order to be able to uh, cover a broad range of uh, areas and topics that you might deal with or speak with clients about. Yeah, that's such a valid point. I would say any new business idea, you must test the market 
I did a fantastic course um, on an app, mm-hmm. edX. Everyone should really download edX on, um, you know, on your phone because all the courses are free unless you want the certificate to show that you did it. Um, you then would pay uh, a small amount of money to, to get that certificate. I did a Harvard X course recently on uh, entrepreneurship and taking a product from lab to market. And this very much emphasized how you, you, you know, you need to test your product. So you have to have at least 100 people that you, you've given your product to or, you know, suggested your service or whatever to really get them to say, yep, I absolutely would want this. You know, I see a demand for this because uh, otherwise it is foolhardy to, to leap in without that demand. You know, um, that is a recipe for disaster. So. Do always test your your product, and I love, of course, the idea of the the lean business. I mean, there's so many books about you know lean startup, four hour week, and you know, but actually upskilling yourself to make sure that you have as many skills as possible as a solopreneur to be able to do you know your social media marketing yourself, um, you know, writing articles and, and developing yourself as a thought leader building your personal brand you will need to do all of these things and they can be pretty expensive if you have to outsource so um, yes doing your own website um, and updating it and anything where you feel you would have to pay someone externally if you are able to build the skills yourself it's definitely well worth it Um, and we should talk about um, uh, Skills Future Singapore the government is absolutely amazing in terms of the funding it provides to um, admittedly mostly uh, citizens and permanent residents. But the courses that you can get and the funding is very significant. Um, and people should really consider looking at the grants that they are entitled to if they're a citizen and PR and, and really do use it because most people actually don't. I did a fantastic course on um, uh, graphic design. So I did Adobe Illustrator. Uh, and I have since, you know, designed several company logos for myself and, and I've been able to to use this AI program, which is fantastic. And I used my Skill Future credit to get that. And I have a little certificate to prove that I did. I think it was a six month course, um, evening study, um, but really invaluable skills that and saved me a ton of money, you know, in the long run as well. So upskilling, definitely um, very, very important. Let's talk about the difference between a consultant and a freelancer. I've actually had some experience with uh, freelancing websites uh, over the last uh, year or two, starting my own business. And just to add on, that's probably one of the suggestions I would make, uh, Lara, to people starting out, is say yes to opportunities that whilst they may not fit in your pure business plan, they might be adjacent. And so say yes to those opportunities because you're never quite sure where they're going to lead. And so one of the things that I did was uh, I started to um, put my services and myself onto freelance websites. And so I've had some experience using things like uh, freelancer.com and Upwork. Other websites and tools are available, of course. And that's a bit of a minefield. Uh, There's some really good things about some of those platforms, but there's also some uh, people who uh, are not particularly honest looking for uh, for free work. Uh, And so as a small business owner, if you are putting yourself uh, out there, you'll soon learn uh, who's genuine, who's not, and what's uh, the right sort of work uh, for yourself. Uh, But try and use a a more reputable freelance uh, website that has uh, lots of uh, checks. Pursue the websites and the platforms that are much harder to put yourself on and to become a member of, because that's when you know things are going to be uh, run more professionally and more safely and, and secure. 
But you asked a question about consulting and freelancers, uh, Lara, at least in my mind, and you were talking about uh, design a few moments ago. Freelancer, to me, I think comes out of people who perhaps are paid on an hourly uh, basis. I think it comes out of design uh, and uh, has then transformed or uh, moved into other areas. So you see on these freelance websites, you see everything from trainers, uh, people wanting to uh, write business plans, web experts, um, SEO experts. You can even find some coaches on some of these websites as well and people looking for coaches or, or coaching. The consultants, on the other hand, though, at least in my mind, are typically those people who might be engaged by a company for a longer period of time on a very specialist uh, subject. So that's the way I would think about the difference between uh, a freelancer and a consultant. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And uh, certainly the you know the consulting side, um, people usually have deep experience in a certain uh, industry and uh, providing advisory um, you know that's going to add value to to the client. So yeah, I, I have also um, hired a couple of people on uh, Upwork as well, and I like the fact that you. Um, so I was the client, but I, I paid into escrow so that the the person doing the work knew that the money was there waiting for them, and they had to um, sort of upload their work onto the platform. Once that was done, I was then given the opportunity to view that, and then you know press to release the funds. It's it's important to protect yourself. You need to use ethical sites that make sure that you get paid for the work that you are doing. Um, but also from uh, you know the client's point of view, that you are given the work that you um, are happy with because you can review that and then uh, send it back and say, actually, you know, please could you tweak this and add that? And then when you're happy, you know, you then release the funds. Um, you know, freelancing and consulting are, are very good ways to kind of dip your toe into things, aren't they? I mean, kind of like the side hustle, right? Um, it, it's a, a great way of, yeah, testing the market, seeing how you feel as that person before you take that true plunge, as mm. it were. So, mm. yeah. It's also a great way to, if you are starting your business, to start in a really lean way. So you don't necessarily have to have the expertise yourself. And if you can't go and get it yourself, then you can uh, hire people on a freelance basis to do that. So, for example, when I was starting out, I knew roughly what uh, I wanted my company logo to uh, look like, had some ideas around uh, colors and uh, style. So I actually ran a competition on one of the freelance websites and I put X amount of dollars uh, up as the, uh, the price. And I think it had 90 or 95 different uh, entries. I put a little brief together as what I wanted, what I wanted the company logo to, uh, to say or to communicate. And uh, it was fantastic. I would just receive entry after entry, then broke it down to... Uh, the uh, top five, uh, and then, to take your point, went and spoke to uh, both family, first of all, uh, friends, but also some potential clients about which one of these looks and works the best for what you know about my business and what I'm trying to do. So you can use freelance uh, websites to, uh, to start your business uh, in a lean way as well as uh, also advertise yourself and take a step forward yourself and your own services. Yeah, and it's a really lovely logo that you've got there for Wasabi Consulting. I really like all the colours and the you know, the, the shades that you've used. Um, yeah, it's very effective. So that sounds like a, a great way of, of being able to, to get the logo that you wanted. Yeah. Um, and other, another situation that we were thinking about is um, when it comes to people considering change, etc. obviously retirement, early retirement in a lot of cases because of the pandemic where companies have uh, pushed people out a little earlier than they would have expected. And then you've got, um, well, obviously the retrenchment, so the unemployment situation where, 
companies have just had no choice but to to let some people go and how companies have handled that has been very significant. Um, I certainly noticed in the news that some people feeling that situations at work are quite unfair. Uh, so people who feel that, um, you know, the way that uh, retrenchments were handled were, were not done sensitively and people were not given support. So it's really important that companies think about how they handle it. Um, I did hear of a situation recently where people who actually really were not expecting to be let go were on a Zoom call and they were actually given the news and the Zoom ended within seven minutes. The whole thing was seven minutes and they were back to back. And, you know, this really felt inhumane. And I was told that a lot of these people cried, of course. Yeah. And they, a lot of them said, oh, but what have I done wrong? You know, why is this happening to me? I was not given any warning. How could I improve? You know, they were really desperate. Um, so th there's a lot of situations like that. And it's a really... Um, upsetting to hear but so in terms of like difficult conversations and I know you give training on this topic how can employers handle this kind of situation much more sensitively? I think one of the first things and most simple things they could do Lyra is to imagine what it would be like for them to be on the receiving end of, uh, of that news and to treat people with humanity empathy but also some respect as well and give them the opportunity to grieve because people if they are losing their jobs uh, or being made uh, redundant or being retrenched they will go through a grieving process and you can't do that in seven minutes. That's not possible for any of us to process that. So provide the opportunity, plenty of time for people to ask questions, to go through that process, provide follow-up and also provide support through that process as well. And maybe people want support and can use support that helps them start their own business and companies can help with that as well and provide outplacement or transition services. And in some uh, cases I've seen companies also uh, use coaches as well to uh, provide that sort of service to their employees uh, as they transition out of the business, but also as they go through that uh, grieving process. Yeah, I think there is, um, as you say, yes, grieving, um, especially if someone wasn't thinking that they were about to be leaving, you know, that if you've been somewhere um, and you're attached to that company and you've got, you know, all your colleagues and your friends and you've been somewhere a long time, it's a huge wrench when you have to leave, um, you know, even if you're literally moving on to something and, and you're the one who's resigned, um, that can be still hard to handle. And so if you've got situations of retrenchment and retirement, I think there are a lot of people who uh, whose identity is actually quite connected with their job title and their function and where they fit within uh you know the whole sort of career landscape um certainly retirement you know let's say you're 65 and you've been at the company 20 years suddenly you're you know people say oh so you know what do you do it, it's really hard to say actually i'm now retired mm -hmm. most people say oh uh, well i was uh you know the head of finance at such and such a bank they will define themselves by their former title Yes. And it's like, but you're actually not doing that anymore. Can you not just say you're retired? And they can't, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's, that is definitely a huge topic for, you know, for coaching in terms of the support that a coach can give mentally to help somebody through the transition and to really focus on the positives and all the possibilities for the future. 
Because retirement, what a great opportunity to do something you love, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It could be that opportunity to start that uh, side business. Uh, it could be the opportunity to uh, use some of your industry knowledge or your expertise in maybe a freelance role or a consulting uh, type role. But also know lots of people who've taken lots of their uh, expertise uh, and insights and applied that to uh, voluntary work, for example. So one of the things that always makes me, me feel better, particularly uh, during the current period, is if I'm helping somebody else, if I'm volunteering some time, even just have a short conversation with somebody and share some of your experience, even some of your scars, that's really valuable to do. Uh, so people can uh, channel some of their energies in that direction as well. Yeah. So, I mean, that kind of touches on sort of mentoring, right? So mm. um, mentoring is where you have got previous experience in an area and you're helping someone who doesn't have as much experience as you and you are sharing and giving them, you know, some tips and tricks and um, and advice as to how they can progress. And you're, you're nurturing them, you know, and, and helping them um, and answering all their questions that they might have and perhaps introducing them to useful people, you know, taking them along to networking that will be helpful for them or guiding them to, you know, useful books that you've read or helping them with videos or, you know, all anything that's just going to help them progress in their career. And certainly young people right now, it's a, a really, really difficult time for them. Many graduate schemes are on pause. University graduates are there thinking, well, you know, where are all the jobs? Obviously, there's that sort of last in, first out kind of attitude of many companies. And, and it's often the young people that suffer in the situation. So, yeah, difficult times for everyone. Um and certainly there is a lot of support out there though, right? There's a lot of forums. Use your LinkedIn. Um, make sure your profile is really up to date. Um, get involved with the forums. You can join a lot of really great groups. You can, um, you know, be really active in saying the kind of job that you're looking for. Um, and people will comment and like and, and share so that their audience can also see what you're looking for. And you never know, somebody may give you that, that lucky break. Mm, indeed ask for help Um, most people want to help other people uh, and will willingly give of their uh, their time so if you find yourself in that position make contact with somebody reach out to somebody uh, and it's okay to ask for help i think quite often we uh, don't feel comfortable uh, with asking for help but most people want to help other people so just do that uh, and ask for uh, for help the other thing about linkedin to at least in my experience is that you never know where the opportunity or the next opportunity is going to come from and you might not have spoken to somebody for five, ten years. I had somebody uh, a call last week with somebody I hadn't spoken to for eight years, and we had a, a Zoom uh, catch-up session. Reach out to uh, to people uh, that you may not have spoken to for a while, but also be aware that opportunities come from all sorts of different places, and sometimes from a place that you least expect it. Totally, I think a lot of it is literally about being front of mind at that particular moment in time. Um, And so by being active on LinkedIn, someone may just see your name and your profile, or especially if you've made a change and you've got a different job title or you're looking for something different, be active so that you have the best opportunity to suddenly be under the nose of someone who is literally thinking of, you know, recruiting that person or um, needing, you know, a new uh, logo or whatever. But these opportunities do come along, but only if you're out there and active. So people do not sit on your hands. Please be active. I think that's like my major tip. Um, Take action.
And now we're moving on to observations from our month in coaching. Andrew, what, what have you observed this month from conversations with your clients? Uh, if you allow me, Lara, I might actually connect uh, what I'm about to share with our previous conversation uh, around the pandemic uh, pause. In the last month or so, lots of uh, clients are talking about uh, making transitions within their company. So taking on new roles in the same company, for example, or wanting to pursue a new role in a brand new company. And so I thought it might be helpful for us today to talk about some of the support that coaching can offer people who find themselves in that position. And you may find yourself as you're listening, driving to or from work as you listen to the podcast in exactly that position. So I mentioned earlier things such as values alignment. That's something that coaching can help with. But if I go right back to the start, it's really helpful to understand what your career aspirations are. And you can do that by understanding the journey you've been on, what some of the highs and, uh, and lows, and then where do you want to go in your uh, career? Uh, so understanding what you aspire to do is really important. And particularly in coaching, we can help you think about how you actually get to that uh, step. Yeah, exactly. So what I see is that so many people are just kind of going with the flow. You know, they're in a job and they just see the uh, career progression and just kind of go along with it without a particular strategy, with no end goal in sight. And, um, you know, in my own personal experience, when when I originally trained as a, a solicitor at that point in time, obviously the goal was to be a partner. You know, when you're a trainee solicitor, partner is the end goal. You know, that's the top of the ladder. But when I started to get further down the line and by about, you know, four and a half years qualified, I started to realize that I actually didn't want to be a partner. I didn't feel that was going to be a role where I would be able to achieve the work-life balance and the sort of family life that I really wanted for myself. Um, And so if you start to realize that the ultimate goal is actually not what you want, it is time to start to reevaluate and take action to get off that ladder and find another ladder that you want to climb. Because I think it's human nature to to be ambitious. um, And if you are working hard in a role, you know, unless you want to achieve that top position in that particular role, like what's the point of even doing it? So um, I'm surprised how many people um, don't have, you know, a fixed goal in mind. It seems to me if you wake up every day and you kind of don't really have a direction that you're going in, it's very hard to feel motivated that you're progressing towards an end goal. So I think coaching is one of the best ways for really just taking the time to sit down with someone and brainstorm what are the things you like most? Where do you see yourself in 10 years, in 20 years, in 30 years, and therefore break that down and almost work backwards? So if your goal is to live in Bali one day, you know, on the beach, okay, well, what does that look like? Are you able to buy a house in Bali as as an expat? If you're not, okay, what would you need to do? How much is a house in Bali? How much would your daily lifestyle cost you? And actually, you might find out it's really not as much as you thought. And you could start to plan for that now. Let's say you're only, you know, 25 years old. You could achieve that very easily if you work backwards from what that looks like. But let's say you're super ambitious and you're in a a small startup right now, a technology startup but you might imagine having your own company and one day doing, you know, a massive IPO and and becoming an absolute millionaire. Well, again, think of what skills you need for that. 
What network do you need for that? Who should you be hanging out with? How can you work on the skills that you need to come up with the next business idea? These are all the things that you're going to need, but it's quite easy actually for you to sit down and to work out all of the various elements that you're going to need and to start to plan and be purposeful. So this is definitely one of the things that I help a lot of people with to to look long term, break it down into really small steps and have a plan of action. Indeed. And if you get to the stage where you're about to leave uh, as well, one of the things that coaching can help with is how to handle your exit, not only the planning to get to that stage, but how to handle your exit uh, in a really emotionally intelligent uh, way. Uh, that's particularly important uh, today. Definitely. And so, you know, there's so many parts of the the transition that um, coaching can help with. Um, and certainly, you know, the values alignment, as you talked about, the sort of the career timeline that you've had and, and all of your strengths, weaknesses, passions, and your, you know, your ideas for the future. These are all something that um, can be supported through coaching, through mentoring, through upskilling and all of these kind of things. So um, do always uh, look for people that can help you. There's so much in terms of free advice and support and other groups and, and people just within your world who may have already taken that step. Uh, you know, tap into their experience, ask how they manage to do things, you know, how can they help you? So really use this great pandemic pause to to imagine the future that you want for yourself, you know, design it now and plan. You'll actually find if you do that too, Lara, at least from both personal experience and from client experience as well, is there's actually some excitement in that planning process and that helps you. So if you are waking up, uh, like you were talking about a moment ago, dreading work and feeling particularly excited about uh, going to work that day, putting yourself in a position where you are planning your future or your next step is actually genuinely really exciting. Uh, and that can give you some both uh, energy and momentum uh, to keep moving forward in your current role or your current situation. Absolutely. It's um, absolutely invaluable to do that. Um, shall we move on to what's on your mind? We shall. But before we do that, I was thinking about uh, how to handle your exit from an organisation. Mm. And I've got a, a warped sense of humour, but uh, one of my favourite television shows in the past was Entourage. Mm. And so I'm not sure if you know Entourage yeah, I've seen it. Okay. Mm. But uh, if you are planning your exit, please, my tip is don't plan your exit Ari Gold style. Can you explain a bit more? <laughs> Ari is uh, the, some would say, uh, real, but the fictitious uh, Hollywood agent. And he grows his business um, in both a very aggressive way, but also typically through um, uh, acquisitions. Uh, and in the process of firing people, uh, there's quite a funny episode that sticks in uh, in mind where he walked around the office with a paint gun and uh, took uh, revenge uh, on the people that uh, he didn't want to uh, employ or he wanted to uh, to retrench. Now, I never, ever recommend anything like that. It's quite horrific and I can see by, by the look on your face that uh, this is not something we uh, we recommend. Uh, and so that's why I'm suggesting do not plan your exit Ari Gold style. I see. Okay. I'm glad you explained that because uh, I think some of us may have been confused, uh, hopefully not just me. But yes, no, that uh, gives new meaning to the term you're fired, doesn't it? Um, uh, and certainly I can think of um, Alan Sugar on The Apprentice uh, and how he looks across that table and he goes, you're fired. But no, this kind of style is only for television. 
people should never think of that in real life. Although uh, I do love uh, the idea of as an employee saying, you can't fire me, I quit. You know, (laughs) that's always, um, yeah, kind of a a fun thing to to think about. Um, Yeah, you know, leaving on your own terms is quite important. But where you have identified that you may have come to the end of uh, the road in a certain organization, either you might have outgrown it or, you know, as we mentioned, the, the values may just not be aligning anymore. Just put everything down to great experience, you know, value it for what it is. It has helped you grow and reach that point and just move on gracefully. There's different stages in your life and um, uh, it's important to recognize where where you are, where you're going and, and how it's all served you. So, yes. And now the next bit of our episode, what's on your mind? What's on your mind, Andrew? What's on my mind? There's quite a few things on my mind <laughs> during uh, ah. COVID-19. <laughs> oh, we've covered uh, quite a few of them, actually. Mm-hmm. But um, And you're particularly good at doing this, uh, Lara. So I'm really interested in your thoughts on LinkedIn. I know we picked up on this uh, last time. But how I got to that uh, thought was I was thinking about uh, taking some of the next steps in your career. Uh, or perhaps starting out uh, on your career, and how LinkedIn can be uh, helpful or not. Uh, and so there's lots and lots of different opportunities out there, and sometimes we have to create our own opportunities. And LinkedIn is one platform or one tool that you can use to help generate some of those uh, opportunities. And so I know you've always got lots of great thoughts and advice about LinkedIn, Lara. And so you mentioned a little while ago keeping LinkedIn up to date and refreshing LinkedIn. Could you just tell us a bit more about that thought? Absolutely. I mean, LinkedIn is your live CV almost, um, but it shouldn't just be your, you know, your CV. It very much is your personal brand. And so recently I did a transition into a new role as a business owner. So yes, I have started my own executive coaching and business advisory consulting practice, which, uh, primarily is focused on lawyers, leaders, and founders. And I have used LinkedIn to share that news. Um, I posted several you know, posts about how I had um, uh, got my International Coaching Federation ACC qualification. Uh, I posted how I'd started this new business, how I called it Lara Q Associates. That post had over 8,000 views and, you know, couple of hundred likes. And then, um, of course, I updated my profile. So I've completely rebranded myself. I put in a new banner with my colouring and photo. And, and you too yeah. have a really good logo as well. <laughs> oh, yes, my good logo. Well, which my, of course, I designed myself on uh, <laughs> on uh, Adobe Illustrator using my fantastic skills. So yeah, you know, I have really been very purposeful with my LinkedIn, um, my about section, really focusing on, uh, you know, my target clients, um, how I can help them, the value I bring, the experience I have that makes it relevant. And so I think that has been really powerful. And I've got several business leads that just immediately came into my inbox, you know, my, my, my LinkedIn inbox, um, but also my, um, my email. So it's very important for you to put your contact details, uh, in there, you know, put your email so that people can reach out direct to you in your new email if you've moved and, uh, list your website as well. Uh, mine is still in progress. <laughs> I hope to launch that in a couple of weeks, but having your branding is so important and, uh, this focus on, 
making sure the world understands your clientele, who you're trying to reach, and then also signaling the kind of um, collaboration opportunities there might be. And I have certainly leveraged uh, uh, LinkedIn to connect with a lot of very fantastic, like-minded people. People who are movers and shakers on LinkedIn, they really do take action. Um, I had a really great call yesterday with Robert Hanna of the Legally Speaking podcast. Um, and he is the um, owner of uh, Kasoon Carl, which is a recruitment consultant in the legal space uh, in the UK, but also expanding internationally. And, uh, you know, we discussed a lot of collaboration ideas and we just got on really well as, uh, as business owners and as a fellow Dachshund uh, aficionados. Uh, he's getting a, a new Dachshund, so I was giving some advice on that, um, being an owner of two standard Dachshunds. So <laughs> um, sausage dogs for, for everybody else, if you don't know what the Dachshund is. Um, but connecting with people, leveraging that to grow your profile, as I mentioned before, being front of mind at uh, every opportunity, adding value to other people with any comment that you think is going to add to the conversation in somebody else's post, sharing knowledge, you know, thought leadership. Today, I shared something on um, on mental health, something on sort of imposter syndrome and, and various things. I think if you are constantly commenting on things that are relevant to your business, people very quickly can see your attitude. Um, so many people say to me, wow, you're so positive on LinkedIn. And and I love that because I don't realize how that comes through. But, you know, a lot of people say that to me. And I love the fact that that's the impression I'm giving because I'm certainly trying to do that. So how about you, uh, Andrew, and your LinkedIn profile? How, how has that helped you? Helped me in a few different ways. Uh, it's helped me actually, or pushed me to the point where I actually have to create content, uh, which has actually been great. So it's content that I use both on LinkedIn, but also on my company website uh, as well. Uh, it's helped me uh, interact with people I've uh, done business with or I've met uh, over the years, but also to meet uh, new people uh, as well. And I take a bit of my lead on this from uh, you, Larry. You're very, very uh, good at this, very good at tagging people, very good at responding. So it's an area I'm still developing and happy to admit that. But it's a really great tool to um, brand yourself, and personal branding is particularly uh, important. So if you have something that uh, you've done, something you've created, something you're really proud of, LinkedIn has a really unique feature where you can actually feature whatever it is that you've uh, published or whatever achievement uh, it is. So you can put that uh, right at the top of uh, the page effectively or top of mind of people who come and visit your uh, profile. So there's little things like that that uh, you can do. Uh, but it's still, to answer your question, it's still an area uh, for me personally out on uh, on developing step by step well every every month it seems you know linkedin brings out another feature um and it's always interesting to observe uh the different things that they are bringing in and um so most recently i shared a post how you can record your pronunciation of your voice uh sorry of your name and that's really helpful for people like me you know my surname is quee it's not obvious um and so I have uh, recorded my, you know, in, in my profile, you can see it says Lara Quee and there's a little speaker. You can click on that and it's me going, Lara Quee. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I find that helpful if um, I see a name that I'm not sure or, you know, some people don't put a profile photo and if they have a name that you're not familiar with, you might not even know if they're male or female. And so if you hear their voice and the way that they pronounce their name, 
then you would know. Um, well, not necessarily you would know, but you know, sometimes you would know. Um, and I just think it's a great thing that LinkedIn's constantly evolving. Um, and there's lots of ideas for how it can definitely improve. I like the idea that it's kind of a, a Rolodex, you know, of my business cards, but I'd love to be able to make notes. So LinkedIn, if you're ever listening, I would like to be able to make a note against anybody I connect with so that I can say something about that connection. So maybe I've just met them at an in-person event uh, and I could put, you know, date I met this person at X event. Um, I think that would be really quite helpful. That's a great idea. <laughs> so, yes. Next section, quote and top tips. Andrew, what is our quote of the episode? Let me give you the quote first, and then I'll give you the context. Yes. And it's a very, very simple quote, and we've most of us have heard it. We've probably all heard of it. And that is, the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. Now, you might think it's relatively simple or a simplistic uh, quote, and you might have expected better from us, perhaps. But let us... Probably not. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> No. <laughs> well, we did bring poetry to the last one, so oh, yes. this is not that's nearly true. as uh, uh, eloquent. Oh, yeah, that's true. Uh, so how we got to this uh, this point was that uh, we've been talking about the Netflix uh, docu-drama series, or not series, episode or show called Social Dilemma, which talks about uh, the influence that social media has uh, in our lives, particularly in our children's lives uh, today. And that led me to think about how when we see something, and we're talking about LinkedIn a moment ago, we see other people's successes. We quite often think immediately that the grass is greener on the other side. Why am I not having that success? Why does that person get to do this? Why does that person have this particular opportunity? And that led me to think about success and what people don't see with success. And it's really easy to become envious of other people on social media and I have a very limited uh, social media presence, and LinkedIn is pretty much uh, it. But you see people doing some fantastic uh, things, which is great for them, but there's always that element of doubt and think, well, why hasn't that success come to me? And so success, at least in my experience, Lara, comes through hard work. And that brings me, I guess, to a second quote, was there was a South African, or is a South African golfer called Gary Player. And he has a really nice quote that says something along the lines of, the harder I work, the luckier I seem to get. And that very much is uh, is my approach because people don't see on LinkedIn when somebody's sharing a success, they don't see the late nights. They don't see the early mornings. They don't see the missed flights, uh, for example, when we used to be able to travel. They don't see uh, you missing uh, family events. They don't see uh, perhaps uh, an impact on your physical health. Uh, they don't see you spending a night sleeping on a bench at a Russian regional airport like I once had to. They don't see those things. And so that all sits below the, uh, the waterline uh, of success. And so I thought that was important for us to, uh, to be able to share that, yes, the grass may appear greener on the other side of the fence, but that grass has been grown through lots and lots of hard work that we may just not see and perhaps we need to be more aware of. Definitely. And so a lot is about your, your own mindset when you're seeing these things, reading these things. Um, and so developing your own sense of what contentment looks like to you so that you do not envy others and that you do not see 
what you're doing as lesser than them is really important because success is different for every single person. And these days, you know, we do see a lot of wealth and an incredible uh, you know, showy off stuff like the keeping yeah. up with the Kardashians and there's a lot of extremes. And so I think gratefulness and acknowledgement of where you are in your personal story, you know, where have you come from and what have you achieved and what makes you happy? Um, human beings, uh, if you think of really where we're from, you know, we're cave people originally with very simple tastes. And uh, the society that we've created around us is actually very false because what it's done is um, we have an innate innate, uh, desire for being the best that we can because that all goes back to survival of the fittest. You had to be someone with a mindset that would make you uh, a good hunter or successful within your tribe so that you were not killed and so people do have that but it's finding what are those internal drivers and why and how can you achieve those and be successful for yourself this is not about universal acknowledgement of you receiving an oscar right um this is or any other rewards i mean you may get some awards and that's a fantastic byproduct of your success but success may be you um you know being a a stay-at-home parent um i know that for many people this is extremely fulfilling and what they have chosen to do and i think for me it's all about choice you know, nobody else has the right to judge you on what choice you are making, so long as you're making that choice for yourself for the right reasons. And that's why success for you has to be your own design, like what that looks like for you. And you need to have the confidence to not worry so much about what society thinks is successful, because it isn't really all about the money at all. Uh, as a human, you obviously need shelter. Uh, you know, but you're only one person. You can only sleep in one bed, sit at one dining table, sit on one sofa, watching one TV. You know, actually, we have very few needs, but we seem to think that we need thousands of things and millions of mm-hmm. dollars and 10 homes, 20 bedrooms. I mean, you know, it's so unrealistic, isn't it? As the saying goes, you can't take it with you. No, you absolutely can't take it with you. Um So grass is always greener. Let us develop a mindset where we can appreciate and celebrate the things that everybody else thinks is their success and say, wow, haven't they done well? Good for them. But at the same time, not compare ourselves and say, oh, I should have done that. Or, oh, you know, we were on the same level. Look at what they've done. Oh, maybe it's all luck. It's like, well, as you said, uh, Gary Player, he creates his own luck, actually. And so most of that is positive mindset, being able to spot opportunities and take action. Because it's all very well sitting there, watching all the opportunities go by and somebody else noticing them and taking action. And then you saying, well, you know, well, what happened there? Uh, no, spot it for yourself and uh, take action and do with it what you want to and be happy with what you've done, and be happy with where you're going. Indeed. Get in the game. It's all about knowing the rules of the game. It is. And playing the game. It is. And stepping out of the game if that game is not the one that you want to play. <laughs> Indeed. And if you're interested in that, Lynn, 
reading a little bit more uh, about uh, the growth mindset that Lara talks about, there's a really good book by Carol Dweck uh, that talks about uh, growth mindsets. Now, we have no affiliation with Carol Dweck, uh, but it's a really interesting uh, read, and it talks about the importance of being open to new opportunities and new experiences. Okay, I think we're on to Ask the Coach Potatoes. Now, Lara, you don't know this, but I'm going to take this section over. We'd love your questions, uh, so feel free to contact uh, Lara and I with any of your questions that uh, you may have for the Coach Potatoes. But Lara, I'm going to turn the tables on you this week and ask you a question. You mentioned before that you started your own business in the last few weeks. Tell us a bit more about that and tell us a bit more about uh, what's worked for you and what hasn't worked for you. So I would say what has worked for me, I think what's worked for me is the mindset. So my mindset in terms of evaluating what I consider to be a risk and what isn't a risk. So um, in my career, I have taken risks before and those have always worked out positively. And I have followed my heart and my gut and you know instinct to assess what is right for me at a particular point in my life. Um, so when I originally left law to uh, retrain as a Montessori nursery school teacher, obviously that seemed like a risk at the time, but I knew it was the right time for me because, uh, as I had mentioned just earlier in the episode, I'd realised I didn't reach, I want to reach the top of the ladder and be a, be a partner in a law firm, and so I, I went on the path to be a Montessori teacher. Uh, I'm passionate about children and, and young children in particular. And um, I did that, though, with a view to opening my own day nursery for professional parents. And when I realized that this business model actually would not work, uh, I was then open to following a, a colleague of mine into the idea of developing a solid wood bespoke Swedish kitchen company, <laughs> which, again, is a little bit random, but made sense at the time because she had got this fantastic wooden kitchen uh, she'd imported from Sweden. And the quality was just outstanding because they had 25% VAT in Sweden. It meant that the kitchen was very uh, affordable when you imported it to the UK. And um, because in Sweden, solid wood was quite standard, it wasn't viewed as a premium product and therefore was much more affordable. Um, and so I got one of these kitchens myself and then uh, I moved house and I did this so-called side return on our property in Wimbledon and I put in another kitchen. And people just kept saying to us, my God, these kitchens are amazing. You should do it. You know, you should do it as a business. And so we did. So there's uh, two DLA Piper lawyers <laughs> sitting there in a kitchen company. We had built a Swedish chalet in my garden, uh, put in uh, three kitchen displays. And um, this is where we launched Solar Kitchens, which is a combination of Sophia, So, and Lara, So, La, uh -huh. which I said sounded quite Swedish. I thought, Solar, <laughs> Solar Kitchens. Um, and so you can check out Solar Kitchens. It's solakitchens.com. It's still going very strong in the UK. It's, uh, it's got two high street showrooms in Fulham and Hampstead Heath. Please do check that out. Um, my business partner, 
Sophia Boone still runs that really well. She's an amazing, successful person. So please do check that out. That's kind of a, sorry, uh, an aside, an advertising boost for her. But just because she is so brilliant. Um, and that was a really important part of my journey to being an entrepreneur. Um, and I did that for four years uh, until we moved to Hong Kong. Um, and so when I was in Hong Kong, I was a stay-at-home mum. Mm-hmm. And I was basically a taxi. I drove around ferrying my kids to all their different uh, schools and activities. But at that point, I suddenly thought, goodness, I've had quite a decent education. And uh, I should start thinking about being an example to my children and also pulling my own weight. You know, there I was, my poor husband slaving away. Uh, and I was actually playing tennis every day. <laughs> uh, my tennis has somewhat slipped. I haven't played for a few years, but I, I did get quite good at one point. Um, and I thought, what could I do that involves working in a law firm, but not being a lawyer? Because I hated timesheets. And I discovered business development. And uh, and I realized that actually a lot of my skills that I really enjoyed, you know, relationships and coming up with creative ideas for events and promoting people and um, getting PR for people and all of those kind of things really fit in with what I love to do. So I reinvented myself as a business developer and got myself a job there. And um, then we were transferred to, re- well, relocated to Singapore. And then while I was here in Singapore, uh, I carried on my business development role. And I was in my last um, firm, which is Dwayne Morrison Salvin, for five years I had the most fantastic time there. They're a brilliant group of people, really great colleagues. We worked so well together. Um, but unfortunately, I, you know, I had this huge health scare um, at the end of last year that just made it impossible for me to carry on at the level of pace that I was doing. And so, yeah, during chemo, I opened my eyes to executive coaching. And when I learned what coaching was, I discovered this huge passion for using coaching to really help people get the most out of their life. Um, And having had this scare, it woke me up and made me say as well, well, where am I going with this? You know, what's my life? What is my life purpose? What is meaningful to me? And, um, And I realized that Although I had been helping others all my life um, and certainly mentoring a lot of people and, and just helping just generally, that I had never purposefully set out to put my stall there that says I help others uh, and coaching and advisory just seemed the obvious next step for me. And so uh, a wrench though it was, and we just discussed in the episode about how difficult it is actually to to leave a company, even if it's on your own terms. You know, I I did have a difficult conversation where I had to break to my fantastic boss the fact that, um, you know, I do need a career change and that this is my next step for my my path in my life. And they were so supportive. They've been a fantastic employer all along. And, um, you know, we parted really amicably. I'm hoping that we'll, you know, continue the relationship going forwards. Um, but it was the right time for me to move into something new, to really enjoy the transition and being an entrepreneur again. So here I am as an entrepreneur, leveraging LinkedIn, like we said, doing a lot of collaborations, really helping others, really helping, you know, the effects that I've seen through the coaching of people making really bold steps that they have con- contemplated, but they 
would not have done on their own is very powerful. Um, and I'm loving seeing those changes. I'm loving feeling that I can give them that support and also boost their positivity, give them a lot of energy and bravery. Um, I think lots and lots of people really need uh, some support for, for change when they're thinking of making a bold move. So that's kind of my story on that. Oh, thanks for sharing. So you're now a few weeks into that journey or yeah. this stage in your overall journey? Yeah, since the 18th of September. Okay. How, how are you feeling? <laughs> yeah, so I, I definitely have my up and downs in terms of my self-confidence, but I would tell you that the the most um, powerful way that I'm able to kind of get back on track is the fact that I collected testimonials from my clients as I went along. And um, whenever I have self-doubt, it's really useful to to read those again, remind myself about the impact that they tell me I've had, because, you know, this is their testimonial. I, I, I can only look at them and think, oh, I wonder, you know, how did they do? But when they write in their own words and they're happy to share that with me um, about the things that I've helped with, um, that really reaffirms and helps me say, Okay, I'm having a shaky day today where I'm thinking, my God, what have, what on earth have you done? Um, but then when I see the value in that, um, that's what motivates me and helps me move forward. Fantastic. That's great advice and really connects to some of the things we we're talking about uh, earlier in our podcast. And I have to ask Lara's one last question. What's one thing you've learned in the last three or four weeks that you never expected to learn? Yeah, what could that be? Um, never expected expected to learn um i well i i definitely have learned a lot of things about um the power of of relationships and um i suppose that i've been uh, surprised by how i hadn't really realized how early on sort of i started to impact other people's lives and and how so many people you mentioned that you hadn't heard for, from someone for ages and, and they suddenly popped up again on linkedin and there's so many people that reach out you know when i mentioned oh i've started my own business and and so many people just said oh totally this is so you and mm -hmm. and you helped me with this and you know lots of things from like i don't know 20 years ago where and i <laughs> i actually do have a memory like a fish um so where they have commented on on something that i did that i had totally forgotten but it made an impact on them and, and i love that that was um helpful and it still lives with them today and that when they notice i've posted something that they still comment and support me so that's been the best thing that's fantastic great well, they're questions without notice, so thanks for sharing. No, that's great. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, so what is our last bit? I think this is probably pretty much it for this episode. It is. Just a couple of things before we finish up. One, of course, is to thank you for uh, listening and thank you for joining us. And if you like what you hear and what you're hearing, please don't forget to uh, subscribe uh, and ideally leave a comment uh, where you uh, retrieved the, or downloaded the podcast uh, from. Uh, we'd really uh, love that. So thank you. And of course, we'd love any questions uh, that you may have. So feel free to shoot uh, a question or some comments through to Lara or myself. Uh, and you can see all of our contact details in the show notes or the episode notes. Yeah. And our next episode is going to be another one in our interview series. And uh, you were the one who took that interview. So Andrew, who are you going to be interviewing? Sure. I actually took that interview in a very noisy cafe, unexpectedly noisy. Uh, in a recovering uh, Singapore from the pandemic. 
Uh, and I interview a gentleman called Mervyn Yo. Mervyn is a fellow introvert, but he also is a very successful networker and has run uh, networking and referral businesses. But interestingly, he's also uh, written a number of books about uh, networking and introversion. And several years ago, started a community here in Singapore and for the Southeast Asian region called Introverts Network Asia. And so I had a really good chat with uh, Mervyn. Lots of great uh, tips and tricks about uh, networking, not just as an introvert, but uh, just more broadly in terms of, uh, of networking. So yeah. I look forward to uh, sharing that with everyone. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. I think um, many people are introverts, so that's going to be a fantastic episode. So everybody, please uh, do you know like and um, subscribe to our channel, and we are available on all the usual podcast platforms and we look forward to hearing from you and uh, receiving your feedback on any other interesting topics that you'd like us to cover in future episodes so thanks again for listening goodbye thank you and see you next time